week later. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. I, I can't tell you how, how good it is to know that you're there. And, uh, and, I, and I, like I've said from the get-go, I hope and pray this, this means something to you. I, I know it does to me. And I, I hope, it, <clears throat> hope it blesses your life. I hope you've had a great week. And uh, it's good to be together. And like I said, you know me, I'm ready to jump right back in. Here's where we left off. Jesus' frustrations. Oh my goodness, they're getting so, so high. And, and, and his disciples falling asleep several times in the garden only contributed to that. But here's what I told you as we left off. I got to cut them some slack on the sleeping thing. Okay, Here, here's why. I understand. I can relate to them because I have trouble going to sleep when I shouldn't. Always have. I learned it was a problem when when I was 16 years old and uh, I just got my driver's license. Now I'm driving in Uvalde, Texas. You know, we only got a couple of stoplights and going 30, 35 miles an hour around town. That's about it. So I was overjoyed when my dad came to me and said, Tommy, we got to go to San Antonio tomorrow, and you're going to have to drive because I'm going to be up working most of the night. Wait a minute. We're going to San Antonio the next day? That's out on the open highway. Now, there was just two lanes back then, two lanes, but it was also 70 miles an hour. There wasn't such thing as a 55. This was before 55 ever showed up. So, oh, my word, I'm so excited. I'm going to be up there driving high speeds tomorrow. I can't wait. So. Next day, we get up. I'm so fired up. We get in the car. We get through town. Get out on the highway. My dad goes to sleep. I take off. Woohoo! 70 at least, you know. I'm flying. This is so much fun, man. Now, this is driving. This is really driving. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm really. I, I was just. I'm out. I'm out. I'm sound asleep going 70 plus. While I'm asleep, I crossed over the center line into the oncoming lane, onto the shoulder of the oncoming lane, and into the grassy area that's there before the fence coming up. And the the rough terrain woke me and my dad up at the same time. And when I opened my eyes, we're still going between 60 and 70, and right in front of us is a combine. A combine. Now, if you're not familiar with what a combine is, suffice it to say, this is a very large piece of farm equipment, the size of a small house. It's big, and it's right in front of us. We're flying along, and I just freaked. I just went, ah! And my dad grabbed the wheel and had good presence of mind enough to not try to whip it out of the way. He started, uh, and we just, we, just, I mean, barely missed that combine. I'm like this. I'm frozen in time. He guides us back onto the shoulder of the oncoming lane, into the oncoming lane, across the center line, into our lane, onto the shoulder of our, our side, and says, stop the car. And I stop it. He says, get out. I thought he was going to make me walk home. But no, I got out, he traded places, and he drove the rest of the way. 
So I didn't understand the magnitude of the problem, but that was my first experience of falling asleep. Y'all, I fall asleep when I'm driving. If I'm tired, not really well rested, I fall asleep when I drive. I've had to compensate for that. I do things to take care of it. Don't worry. I don't put people in jeopardy. I make sure that I stay awake. But I had to learn that. There's, I could give you several driving episodes. Scary, okay? The Lord protected me. Believe me. Um, oh, now, let me, let me, I have fallen asleep a lot of times. Now, this is when I was younger, young man, teenager and beyond. I fell asleep a lot in church. I hate to admit that, but I did. I couldn't really help it. I have fallen asleep in church during prayers. Yeah, yeah, during prayers. And, uh, and, and if we were standing for a prayer, oh my word. That was downright dangerous. My knees would buckle and I'd catch myself. <clears throat> I've fallen asleep, believe it or not, singing. <laughs> Nearly dropped my songbook. <clears throat> I've been there. I'll tell you one more. Uh, I, was, I, I used to be on staff, full-time ministerial staff at White's Ferry Road. And, and Mike Kellett was there too. And Mike Kellett, it's my dearest, oldest friend, and uh, we were there together, working. and I'd gone down the hall to his office, and I was just sitting, we were just visiting about stuff, talking along, talking along. I just fall asleep, sitting there in the chair, and, and Kellett says, Emman, my goodness, the least you could do is just stay awake while I'm talking to you. So I, I, mean, I just have that issue. So you know what? If I'd been in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, it's late. And Jesus goes over a ways to pray as badly as I would have wanted to stay awake. I'd have gone to sleep. I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. <clears throat> but I, I can't help but cut him a little slack. But you know what? That's not what... That didn't make Jesus feel any better that night. This made him feel worse. Okay, Matthew 26. Jesus returned for the third time. His, in, in, in verse 45, his disciples are asleep again. <clears throat> the third time. And Jesus says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Oh, watch this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. <clears throat> With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Don't... Of course Jesus knew Judas was going to do that. He told him he was going to do it. He knew clearly what Jesus left to do when he left the room that night. But it's different. It's different when you see it happening. Here he comes. You know Jesus' response. When Judas says, Greetings, Rabbi, 
and he kisses him. Jesus says in verse 50, friend, do what you came for. He spent the last three years with him as a part of the, that group together. He is his friend. He was one of the ones he chose, he picked for this job. And now he has to watch as he comes up to him and kisses him in betrayal. Don't you know that hurts? It's piled on him more and more. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, we know from a parallel account, of course, that's Peter. And it's Malchus. That's the name of the guy. But here's what... <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? Peter is no soldier. I love, I love Peter's desire to protect. Okay, remember, he doesn't understand what's about to happen. Jesus has told him. But he doesn't get it. All he knows is he's trying to protect him. Right? And so he jumps out. Now, he pulls out a sword. Now, let's see. Ooh, that guy, the, the, the high priest's servant. This is probably not a bowed up guy. I don't know. But he picks this guy, whack, and he cuts his ear off. And, and Jesus, Jesus, look how he responds. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place. He's got to be exasperated. Come on, guys. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Y'all, he could set it just like that and it'd be done. He could have stopped it at any time. Just like that. He said, do you think I could not just call on my father and, and, and 12 legions of angels come to my rescue? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? This is all fulfillment of scripture, prophecy. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has to but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And listen, listen. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. They all deserted him and fled. All of them. All of them that said, we'll never disown you. But they did. You think that didn't hurt as Jesus watched them all running away? That hurt. Now let me let me throw something in here, a little, little sidelight. I, I it's my opinion that it was that moment in time, that particular night, that was the the very first streaker appeared. Now I, you young folks may not know what streaking was. 
uh, streaking was a fad. It actually started when I was in high school. Now, not me. I, I, I never participated. Truthfully, I never did. But uh, it started when I was in high school, and that was where folks would... It, did, it was always some type of public scene of some kind. People just take all their clothes off and take off running across. Okay? I, I mean, uh, it was a lot of times, in fact, on TV, watching a ball game, football game or baseball game, the, the announcer goes, uh-oh, and you'd see the flash of something, and they'd pan the cameras away. They wouldn't show you. Oh, oh here goes a streaker, somebody running across the field, and they, you know, take them into custody and, and, and take them all. I don't know what they did. Anyway, it was just a fad, right? <clears throat> I think the first one was in Gethsemane that night. Look at Mark's account. <clears throat> Turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. Mark 14, look at verse 48. You'll see it's just like what we just read from Matthew's account. Jesus says in 48, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Just like Matt. Look at the next, next verse. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Oh, my word. He pulled right out of that garment. Took off the streaker to get away. I, you know, that's what it says. Tell you what. I actually, I preached a sermon one time based on that verse. Excuse me. That verse. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. I preached a whole sermon on that verse. You know what the title of the sermon was? Some people will do anything to get away from Jesus. Hmm. Made an interesting intro to that to that discussion. Okay, so Jesus is taken right there in the garden, and he's taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, first. These are the Jews now, you see. And as he gets there, we see this this such a sad scene with Peter, Peter, who was said, "I will never disown you, even if everyone else does. I will never disown you." I know that you know what happens with Peter, okay? He denies him three times. He's confronted. He's following. Oh, oh let, let's do this. Look, I'll show you another verse I've reached on one time. Go to, oh, oh, good grief. I'm still in Mark. Go back to Matthew 26. Go back to Matthew 26. Look at verse 37. This is after they fled in the garden. They take Jesus to Caiaphas. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Watch. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. I preached another sermon one time called Following at a Distance. 
Guys, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to be all in. Peter wasn't all in at that moment. He was later. But not the, he, he followed at a distance, but then right up to the courts of the high priest. He can see and hear what's going on. And then they put this trial together. We're not going to go through it in detail. Just know this. You can read it. It's as bogus as it gets. It says they brought forth many false witnesses. Why? Because he's not guilty of anything. Over and over and over. They're trying to find some way to kill him. To have him executed. Look at verse verse 62 of Matthew 26. Oh, yeah. Go, skip down to 63. But Jesus remained silent. In all these accusations, he didn't say a word. Not a word. And they're getting frustrated with that. And now, the high priest, he just he can't take it anymore. They're throwing stuff out. It's not true. They know they can't make it stick. And Jesus is not responding to defend himself. Finally, the high priest, in his frustration, I believe, says in verse 63, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. He just, he just can't take it anymore. Just tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. He doesn't expect an answer. But this time Jesus gives him one. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Oh my goodness, that's all they needed. Oh, they throw a fit now. The high priest is tearing his clothes. It's called, it's called renting his clothes. They can't, oh, they cannot believe. They've got him now. Look. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. You ever, you ever picture that? Because this really gets to me. The physical abuse started now. This really gets to me. From parallel text, we'll, and we'll see it in a minute, but they blindfolded him. And then they would come up to him and they would hit him in the face and say, prophesy Christ. Who hit you? Who was that? Who was that? Who was that? Who was that? And some with their fists. Who was who hit you? Just mocking who he was, and I just I just can't hardly stand it as he just takes it. Oh, that's right. For you, he took that for you. Now we get the scene with Peter, okay? And there's a reason I want you I want us to look at it, okay? Verse sixty nine, we see this 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 discourse where he denies. Knowing him three times. Okay, but I want you to catch what happens in Luke's account. Okay? Turn to Luke chapter chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
because Luke includes something the others don't. So Peter's right up there by now. He's seeing all this. He's seeing, and he's seeing these guys hitting and slapping on Jesus, mocking him, prophesied to us. He's seen all that happen. Oh, he doesn't want in on that. So he's denied any connection to him three times. This last time it says bringing down curses. I don't know the man. Look at verse 60. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. That's what Jesus told him. You'll deny me. But before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. The rooster crows. But look at the next verse. The Lord turned and looked straight at just turned and looked him right in the eye. And Peter crumbled. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He looks up and Jesus looks him right in the eye. Oh, you know, I really don't believe that was an I told you so look. I don't buy it. But, it. but it was hurt. It was hurt. Jesus knew he was going to do it. Told him he was going to do it. But now he watched him do it. He heard him do it. So here's the thing with the trial. The Jews are the ones that want him dead. But they cannot carry that out. They're not in power. Rome is in power. So they've got to get the Romans to declare him worthy of death. So they send him to the Romans. The Romans send him back to the Jews. The Jews send him back to the Romans. And this is the final time we see right here is Jesus before Pilate the last time. Verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, "Are you the king of the? Are you the king of the Jews?" "Yes, it is as you say," Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, "Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you?" But Jesus made no reply, not even a sing, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Pilate couldn't believe he wasn't trying to defend himself. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So, when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Do you see what's going on in Pilate's thinking? No way, no how did he ever think they would say, let Barabbas go. No way. Barabbas is a notorious criminal. So here I, here's how he's going to solve all this. I'll throw that out to them. Who do you want me to release to you? They'll release Jesus and everything will be fine. Here's another reason why that was important to him. Because look at verse 19. 
while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She knew it. And Pilate knew who she was talking about. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So, so here's the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. He's going to give him a choice. They'll let Barabbas go. I mean, they'll let Jesus go. Keep Barabbas. Everything's done. Do you remember when, when Jesus was first coming in Jerusalem in our, in our study, the triumphal entry, and the crowd was shouting, Hosanna, son of David, save us, son of David. And I told you, oh, in a few days they'd be shouting again, but it, instead of Hosanna, son of David, it would be crucified. And I told you then, I'm going to show you what happened, why they changed. Here it is. Pilate's asking them, who do they want to release? Verse 22. I'm sorry. Verse 21. Which of the two do you want me... I'm sorry. That's not it. I messed up. I messed up. Go back to 20. 20 is the verse I'm looking for. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. That's it. They just talked him into it. I mean, can you believe that? Now, don't misunderstand. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. But it just gripes me. Here they were so they were celebrating when he showed up in town. And now the chief priests and the elders persuaded them to let Barabbas go. And to have Jesus executed. Verse 20, 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas. They answered. Well, that, that shocked Pilate. He, can, he couldn't believe they said that. He's thrown. I mean, he said, well, well, well what, what shall I do then with Jesus who's called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Look at Pilate's reaction. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all. They didn't answer. They just shouted all the louder. We said crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. You know what Pilate's saying is, this man is innocent. I want nothing to do with what happens here. So he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And this crowd is so worked up into a fervor. Look how they respond to that. Verse 25, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Are you kidding me? They are so worked up. They're throwing their own children in on this. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he handed. But he had Jesus flogged. And handed him over to be crucified. 
I'm so thankful that it's turning out this way. But I hate it that it had to be. Now, all it says about this. It's, well, I just read the verse. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That's all it says. That's all it tells us. I think there's a reason why that's all it tells us. Because for those folks that when, when this was written, when they heard someone at Rome was flogged and then crucified, oh, they, they didn't need the gory details. They knew what happened. Details weren't needed for them. But it's a little different for us. I think we need some. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I've done this before. I actually did this from the pulpit at White's Ferry Road a while back. There was, there was a doctor by the, by the last name of Davis. This was back in the 60s, about 65. He was a medical doctor and he was a Christian. And it, it frustrated him. He was just out of curiosity and, and wanting to know more about his Savior. It frustrated him. He didn't know what the actual cause of death was. He knows what caused it. But if he were, to, if he were there filling out the death certificate and it said cause of death, what would the technical cause of death have been? So what he did was he set out to research what flogging and crucifixion was like in Rome at this time period, the time period that Jesus was, was crucified. And he went, oh, he went in depth and went into a lot of study and a lot of history to try to figure it out. And he came up with and wrote it down in this big, long essay as to what the body of Jesus went through when he, when he died. And, and I want to read it to you because I'm guessing some of you haven't heard it. Okay? But I'm not going to read it this time. I'm saving it for next time. And what we'll get, we'll get the culmination of all of this next time out. And I'll make my case for his emotional suffering being even greater, as horrific as the physical is. Let's do that first. And I'll read that next time. You guys have a great week. And I'll uh, hopefully see you next time out. Good night. Thank you.